Hello, my name is Brian Powell, and I'm the host of Bristol-Myers Squibb's Black Organization for Leadership and Development podcast series, Bold Innovators. This is an open conversation with bold community members and allies throughout BMS that are true leaders in and out of the office who stands with our mission to foster an inclusive environment that values the contributions of Black employees equally with others. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Angelique Hopkins, Vice President, Enterprise and Portfolio Analytics. With a background in public health, biostatistics, and epidemiology, Angelique is an energetic leader with over 15 years of pharma industry experience, developing analytics to support strategic decision-making and insights generation. Angelique has worked across the pharmaceutical industry in roles supporting R&D, commercial, finance, and global supply chain. Since starting her career in 2007, supporting patient recruitment, Angelique has held a passion for accelerating drug development, reducing barriers to business performance, and contextualizing company strategies and implications. In her current role, Angelique supports total company analytics, insights, and processes, including long-term financial planning and strategy and portfolio prioritization. She also serves on the board of directors for Women of Color in Pharma, a nonprofit professional society focused on transforming the pharmaceutical landscape for women of color, where she draws on her unique perspective and cross-functional experiences as a director of partnership development. She is also a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, the first historically black Greek letter sorority for college-educated women. Angelique holds a BS in biology from the College of New Jersey and an MPH with a concentration in epidemiology and biostatistics from Drexel University and a PhD in public health with a specialization in epidemiology from Walden University. Very impressive background. Angelique, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Brian. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you on, and um, I think you're one of the first people I actually met at Bristol Myers Squibb, especially when I started my rotation uh, with business insights and analytics. So it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I know. I feel like we're having a, a full circle moment here. <laughs> I'm so incredibly <laughs> proud of you, Brian, and uh, everything you've done. And it's been a a real pleasure to uh, watch watch your journey and to be a part of how you got here to BMS. Uh, I'm super impressed with your journey as well, and I'd love to get more into that a little bit later in the podcast. But before we learn more about you and your story in your own words, I want to start off by asking you the bold 10 questions. These questions allow us to learn a little bit more about you in a rapid fire, fun and interesting way. Are you ready for the bold 10 questions? I am. This, I think, was the part I was most nervous about, so uh, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go all in on it. We'll go all in. First question, which charity or charitable cause is most deserving of money? Um, I think charitable causes that deal with food insecurity. Um, I did uh, my graduate work in public health on uh, food insecurity in children. And uh, when you think just about basic needs, you know, food is something that we have to have every day. And I don't think we uh, think enough about what nutrition does for our mental health, our physical health. So any charity that deals with children and food insecurity, I think, is, uh, you know, just something basic that we should all be providing. Question two, what always cheers you up when you think about it? 
Uh, rainbows. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, I think it's just one of those things that no matter how many times it rains and I go outside and I see a rainbow or someone says, oh, you know, there's a rainbow outside, I immediately want to run to the window. So <laughs> rainbows always make me smile. <laughs> yeah, I think it rained a couple of weeks ago in Philly and I literally saw a humongous rainbow over like City Hall. So I literally went right to my window and saw, so I understand that. <laughs> exactly. When you tell someone, oh, there's a rainbow outside and they don't immediately run to the window, I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta watch out for that person. <laughs> exactly. How does this not amaze you? <laughs> Question number three. What's the most ridiculous thing you have bought? Okay, this is this. I had to think hard about this one. Um, mm -hmm. So if you grew up like I grew up, then you used anything that you could as a food container. We did not have like fancy Tupperware. So, you know, food went in plastic wrap, food went in aluminum foil. But um, a couple of years ago on Amazon, I found pizza slice containers. Oh. So we eat a lot of pizza in my house. It's one of my son's main food groups. And there are Tupperware containers that are just meant to hold slices of pizza. <laughs> and I bought a whole set of them. And it is probably the most ridiculous thing I've ever purchased, but they are amazing. They stack <laughs> in your refrigerator. You can put the the container in the microwave and heat oh. up your slice of pizza. Um, the most ridiculous thing I've ever bought. <laughs> it's very good to have, though, because it saves space in your refrigerator and maybe it doesn't make your pizza as soggy and take it out of the microwave. So it might be a it, genius purchase. Exactly. It, like steams it. it, it there's not uh, packs of aluminum foil sitting in my refrigerator with <laughs> leftover pizza, um, but but a pretty ridiculous purchase, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous, but good one. Yes. <laughs> Next question. What movie, picture, or video always makes you laugh no matter how often you watch? Um... I love all things Harry Potter. Um, I think just this idea that um, there's this magical world that you could get swept up in. I'm a total Harry Potter dork. So um, any Harry Potter movie I could watch over and over again. And it always makes me smile. Have you ever gone to the Harry Potter land in Universal Studios yet? I have. I did the VIP tour. Ooh. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I will have deniability that there are pictures of me out there on a broomstick uh, with a wand and a Gryffindor robe um, that may or may not be true. <laughs> Can't confirm and I deny. may I may have pushed a seven-year-old out of the way to get the last <laughs> Gryffindor robe, but uh, maybe not. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do, but yeah, we Listen. can't confirm or deny what happened to die. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Next question. What did you Google last? Uh, oh goodness. I, um, actually purchased a new car. Um, buying things for myself is not something I'm good at. I drove the same car for 10 years and just two weeks ago I bought a new car. Um, but it's an electronic vehicle. It's electric. Hmm. Um, and so I Googled how often, whether or not I'm supposed to keep my car plugged in because this new uh ev is something I, i'm trying to figure out so that was the last thing i googled is should when should you plug in your electric car <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know plus you always have those electric sockets too i guess you can always charge your car and refill it by before you go home too Exactly. Yes. I pulled in at work today and I said, oh, do, am I supposed to charge? I don't need to charge. Should I charge? So I was I was in the car Googling whether or not I should plug in my car. <laughs> Next question. What is your favorite or most used social media platform and why? 
Uh, so I, I'm an Instagram lover. Um, so I I went to college, this will tell my age. Um, my college was the 11th college, I think, to get Facebook when it first came out. So I joined Facebook when you still had to have a .edu email address in mm-hmm. order uh, to get on the platform. But I'll say I quickly got tired of it and and it's been kind of full steam Instagram. Um, I can't get into TikTok. I tried. It's just not for me. I feel like Instagram is a good uh, good comparison. I can randomly scroll, um, but there's still uh, some good information on it. So Instagram all the way. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not a bad one. Mine was Twitter, now X. X. And again, I do it with whoever Elon Musk is doing, but it's good to figure out what's trending in the world and get your news and stuff. But yeah, Instagram is my, my number two. Yeah. What's the most depressing meal you've eaten? <laughs> um, most depressing meal I've eaten. So um, I... So ramen is now like good ramen is now a thing and a thing that you can get like takeout wise. But when I was growing up, you you just had packs of like oodles of noodles. Yeah. And uh, I think up a, a pack of ramen noodles where I was missing the flavor pack <laughs> that you put in the noodles <laughs> uh, is probably the most depressing meal I've ever eaten. One, you know, it just makes you feel really lonely, like eating a cup of noodles by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and then to eat a cup of noodles without the flavor pack is just the, the definition of sad. <laughs> and yeah, plus, green. when you've had really good ramen, you know how good it can actually be. So it just just adds to the adds to the misery. <laughs> yeah, once you have good ramen, you really can't go back to the packaged ones or the dry no. ones. Yeah, you can't go back. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Next question. As a child, what did you think would be awesome about being an adult? but isn't as awesome as you thought it would be. Oh, there are so many things. So many things that we were, we were so deluded. Um, but I think staying up late, um, Mm. I have always been more of a night owl. Um, and obviously growing up bedtimes were, were really strict. So, um, yeah, you know, I would just be up for hours. When I when I get older, I'm I'm gonna go to bed whenever I want. If someone told me to go take a nap right now, I would absolutely love it. I can't <laughs> tell you a time when I didn't think I was tired. So uh, staying up late and not being able to take naps is really overrated. Kids kids are not taking full advantage. Naps are like one of my huge pluses. If I can take a nap in the afternoon on a Saturday, that just makes my weekend a lot better. Yeah, I was looking at some meme and it said it, it's really not fair that the people who want the people who want to take naps have to make the people who don't want to take naps take naps. <laughs> it's like a torture yourself. <laughs> exactly. Like if I could go back and gather all of those naps that I refuse to take, um, yeah, that that's something that is definitely overrated as an adult. <laughs> Ninth question. What's the scariest nine horror movie you've watched? So I had to think hard about this. I I am not, I have to admit, I am not a movie person. Um, Movies are like $20 naps for me, speaking of (laughs) of staying up late. Um, But the Truman Show, I don't know if you remember this, but it's a Jim Carrey movie where um, he, he is on a reality TV show that nobody, that he doesn't realize he's on a reality TV show, but everybody else around him is. So his whole life, is really fake. Like everyone in his life is an actor from his parents. His hometown is like a movie set. Um, 
And that movie is actually terrifying to me. It's supposed to be kind of funny and a comedy and Jim Carrey has some really great lines in it. But um, the idea that your reality is not your reality um, is is really scary to me. So, yeah, the Truman Show. <laughs> no, I, I 100% agree. Actually, that's one of my favorite Jim Carrey movies outside of like the Ace Ventura movies. But yeah, yeah it was really well done. And yeah, it made you realize ugh, living in that type of world where everyone's fake around you, it's, it's, it's horrifying. Yeah, I mean, from like the, 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 and you've seen the movie Brian. So, like, cameras in his bathroom to the wife that he, to the, like, his marriage to everything. Everything. And millions and millions of people are like, it's like the most popular show in the world. Um, but I admit, he does have some really, really great lines in that movie. He does. He does. <laughs> and the last question what's the one regret you had in your career thus far? Uh, I wish I always wanted to take an international assignment. And um, it was one of the things that I, I always thought that I would do, especially since I, I started my career really young. I said, oh, I have plenty of time. I'll, I'll go work in another country. And um, it, I never took the opportunity to do it. And now uh, I feel like I have a it's it's not off the table, but I have a lot more responsibilities mm -hmm. now. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's less easy to just pick up and go. But that that's a regret that I have, that he didn't go and work um, in another country, work internationally for even a short period of time. Thanks again for answering all the bold 10 questions. We got to know a lot more about you. And then yeah, let us know if we should be uh, charging our uh, our cars <laughs> or not. <laughs> Apparently not. It's like your phone. You should not keep it on the charger when it doesn't need to be. So <laughs> well, now I, I learned you... something too. <laughs> yes, I saved you all a Google. <laughs> <laughs> and probably had my phone battery last me longer. Didn't know about that one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It'd be great to learn more about you and your story in your own words. So please tell us, what is your story? Sure. Um, so it, I like to say that my my career was a bit of a happy accident. But, you know, to, to start, uh, you know, maybe maybe from the beginning, I grew up in, you know, a really supportive environment, you know, surrounded by lots of family. But I think a thread for me was always being surrounded by really, really strong women. My mother is legally blind. She's been legally blind since birth. We were actually talking recently because she was asking me about my experience as a kid growing up with a blind mother. And I said, I, I really don't know how to answer that because it really never registered <laughs> for me mm -hmm. that she was blind. It, it, it just uh, it was never a limitation. You know, for context, my, my legally blind mother went to college on a basketball scholarship. So oh, that, wow. tells, that tells you something about, you know, how much, uh, <laughs> you know, Impressive. having that, yeah, having that, uh, you know, disability didn't limit her at all. But I think it, it instilled in me a real sense of you can do anything that you want to do, that the only thing that really limits you is, um, you know, the box that you put yourself in. And so I always had just kind of the, the, this drive and, the, and this focus. And, um, you know, I mentioned that, you know, my career was kind of a happy accident. I was one of those kids who knew what I was going to do. I was going to be a doctor. I was the consummate overachiever. Uh, you know, I was I was supposed to go and go to medical school, and that was that was my plan, and that was set. I think from the time that I was 
you know, in very early middle school. And uh, I graduated from, from college. I had applied to medical school and I got cold feet. And I just said, I, I can't imagine. I wanted to do something with healthcare, but I can't imagine you know, spending the next eight years or however long a, a, mm. of my life, um, you know, at 21, 22 years old. And so I took a bit of a detour and I decided to get a master's in public health. I thought that would pacify my parents a bit. So, you know, I could always go back to medical school when I wanted to, but I would, I would, I would get the MPH first. And mm-hmm. um, I fell in love with public health and it, it, you know, opened up this world for me, you know, back to this idea that, you know, you don't have to fit in a box. I had this career path outlined and had never thought to myself that there could be something else. And in my mind, the way that you got involved in healthcare and made a difference in healthcare was that you became a doctor. Because you don't have to be a doctor to make an impact on healthcare. And uh, actually that, you know, what I wanted to do in making kind of large scale impact, I could do a lot more with, uh, you know, pursuing a different pathway. And so uh, it was coincidence that at the same time that I was doing my master's in public health, I did an internship at Bristol-Myers Squibb right out of undergrad, never thought that I would work in pharma. Again, a path that I had just never thought for myself. As someone who was focused on public health, to me, pharma was working for the man, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I told you this story, Brian. Yeah. Um, and I got here and it totally challenged my expectations around what it was to develop drugs, that the focus that you have on patients, and again, back to this idea of how could I make the largest impact possible? And it opened up a whole nother pathway and career pathway that I had never considered. So I joke that um, I came to BMS as an intern and they kept giving me stuff to do, so I never <laughs> left. Um, that's only partially true, but um, I, I really found a uh, you know career and a career path that just made a lot of sense to me. So I spent most of uh, the first part of my career in R&D and, and very science-focused, kind of given my, my background in public health and biology. And then again, don't consider myself a business person. <laughs> I know, uh, you know, Brian and talking to you and you having your MBA, you know, that I, I do not have an, I have lots of other degrees. I don't have an MBA and, you know, the, the business side, the financial side of, the, of uh, you know, business was something that I told myself I was never interested in, but I realized that I actually enjoyed solving and thinking through and preventing problems or identifying risk and opportunities a lot more than I enjoyed fixing problems after the fact. And so I found myself all of a sudden, um, you know, being very analytical and being very numbers focused in a way that uh, I had not mm-hmm. anticipated. Um, as an as an epidemiologist, you know, you have to to take biostats, but I always say statisticians are a mystery to me. They, I, I don't, I like what numbers tell me. I don't like numbers for the sake of numbers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, using analytic techniques, you know, partnering with people who could do things like code and model that the, the second that I was done, all of my uh, advanced degree work, I put all modeling and all modeling techniques out, out of my brain, <laughs> um, you know, but, but that 
to me was another way that I could advance the business. You don't think sometimes about analytics impacting healthcare or, you know, being a scientist versus being the person that's in the home office kind of calculating risk and opportunities or identifying where you should put resources. But that has a huge impact too, right? Where where mm-hmm. we put every dollar doing good science and and you know following the science and doing that in a way that optimizes scarce resources or identifies where we should get out of an area or where there's more opportunity than we thought um, allows us to deliver medicines to patients faster and more efficiently so found myself kind of kind of doing that and uh, yeah that for the the past couple of years is really where my career has been um, you know focused kind of on uh business and business insights and analytics and and helping leaders to make decisions with data it's been this really interesting combination of making an impact in healthcare um but also human behavior and and helping mm-hmm. people make good decisions with data at a time when everybody's talking about data and ai and you know chat gpt and and the science and the technology is just moving so fast so that's kind of my my journey and my story and and how i've gotten here well that's great and thanks again for giving us that background angelique and that's a question on that how was bms as a support system for you to grow your career it's been awesome, and I think it's one of the reasons that I've stayed. So I have I have been at BMS now for going on 15 years, 16 years. I have to have to do the math. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll round down. We'll say 15. There you go. <laughs> uh, um, but one of the the reasons I've stayed, in addition to just always being able to work with great, amazing people, has been the culture and the culture of growth that I've experienced here. Whenever I have raised my hand for an opportunity or expressed interest in something, there's been an opportunity to learn something different. There has been people who have supported me, who have allowed me to work on that cool project or (laughs) said, sure, you can come and shadow at this meeting. So for me, there's always a a few things that I try to focus on. One, I never want to be bored. A bored Angelique is a really dangerous Angelique. So, <laughs> um, I've I have never been bored. Uh, you know, BMS has always you know been changing and evolving as a company, and and I've always found myself being able to get involved in things I'm really interested in. <laughs> to the ability to just constantly learn and not do the same things over and over again. When I when I started at BMS. We were very focused in diabetes. You know, um, I came into BMS at the start of the amino oncology, and that lets you do the math on on my career. <laughs> but no one even knew what amino oncology was. We went mm. from you know kind of talking about diabetes and, and HCV medicines to you know trying to explain to patients why the side effects of amino oncology were totally different than what you experienced with chemotherapy. Uh, and so that, you know, learning and growing and science and, you know, now being able to see the evolution of cell therapy, you know, on the front lines real time, you know, you're always learning something different. There's never a day that I come into work and it's the same thing that I did the day before. And the last thing is the people. I made a commitment to myself that I was never going to do a job where I was miserable. 
Mm. You know, the work may be hard, the work may be difficult, but I was never going to pull into that parking lot and say, oh, goodness, I can't believe I have to go into this building and <laughs> and, and work with these people. And um, I have never felt that way. The people are really what has kept me here and what keeps me coming back every day. We work with some of the most dedicated, far the smartest, uh, you know, most compassionate, focused people that I could ever imagine. And so that that culture and, you know, being able to have those experiences at BMS is is been really critical to, to my career and why I've stayed. Very important point you made was the people because BMS, anything, we have great people, like you said, that are very smart, intelligent, and just nice and compassionate and really want to help you develop and grow as well. So now that's the one cultural standpoint that Bristol Myers Group has is our people and our focus on our people. Yeah, and and Brian, we've 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 talked about this a bit. I know one of the people who you're hoping to have on on your podcast in the future is uh is Pat Cornette. Um, yes. so I, I'll give a, a a plug hopefully for her future <laughs> her future episode. But I mentioned that I came into BMS as an intern and. When I was considering whether to take a full-time position at BMS, Pat actually became uh, the leader of, of the team that I was interning under. And, you know, we had a one-on-one and she asked me why, you know, I wasn't considering, you know, staying at BMS. And I made a comment to her that um, I just didn't see where my career was going to take me here. And one of the, the reasons why I said that at the time is there were not a lot of leaders that looked like me. There were not a lot of female leaders, and I could probably at the time, you know, have pinpointed on, you know, one hand the number of black female leaders. And, you know, that is not unique, obviously, to BMS. That just was, you know, <laughs> you know, the way that that the industry was at the time, particularly industries that focused on on science and healthcare. And I'll never forget Pat said to me that if this is if this is a career that you want, then we will find you a path. And maybe people don't look like us right now, but we can be the people that 20 years from now, people say those leaders looked like us. And so I have a model for how I can do it. So Pat is one of the reasons that I stayed and and continued to work in pharma um, and continued to work at BMS because I saw someone who looked like me, who thought like me and was committed to making sure that more people who looked like us were represented in a way that they weren't at the time. Yeah, I've heard so much about Pat, how she's helped out individuals such as yourself and others of the organization. I spoke to her a couple of times in the hallway, but yeah, she's the, my, one of my number top picks for, for next year and season three for the podcast. So <laughs> Pat, if you're listening, hey, we're, we're going to get you on pretty soon. Yeah, so, uh, but, sorry, Pat, to put the pressure on. <laughs> <laughs> no, no pressure, but pressure. Uh, but yeah, it even talks about just the bold community in general, how much we try to help one another. We're all about uh, leadership and development, either in your personal or professional career. And obviously, we're on the Bold Innovators podcast and our focus on passion. But I guess, Angelique, what are you boldly passionate about? And how's Bristol Myosquib helped you to facilitate that passion? Yeah, I think I, I am boldly passionate about challenging expectations. Um, you know, I've, I've made a couple mentions of, you know, thinking outside the box or not letting yourself be put in a box. And here at BMS, you know, the support that I've gotten from, you know, internal organizations like Bold from, from other leaders has always been around, you know, well, why can't you? 
you know, why can't we develop medicines that, you know, take a disease from a death sentence to something that people can live with? Why can't mm-hmm. we, you know, push the science forward? And I think that mindset has applied both to, you know, the, these kind of big ideas that what we do as a company, but also who I am as a leader and where my career has taken me. So anytime I have found that I am frustrated with my career, that things aren't going, you know, the, the way that, that I want them to, or I'm not seeing the opportunities, most of the time that's because I was limiting myself. I wasn't challenging myself to think big enough, to think bold enough. You know, I, I think oftentimes as a, you know, person who grew up with a lot of expectations, there is a path that you're supposed to follow. There, there's, there are certain things that you're supposed to do not to do. Like I said, I was supposed to be a doctor. <laughs> uh, I was supposed to go to medical school. Well, you know, who says you're supposed to do that? You know, now right. I sit as a leader of, you know, an analytics department of people who code and do amazing things and and make, you know, complex models that you can't even imagine. But I focus on people and mm-hmm. people sometimes often think, oh, well, you know, you're very focused on analytics and numbers. You're, you're not a people person. And no, actually, I am very much <laughs> a people person. People are actually my number one focus. Um, so the, the, those challenging expectations, the, you know, why, why can't you be someone who loves analytics and data and objective points of views and insights, but is also very focused on people and compassion and, you know, being a compassionate leader? Um, why can't you make a huge impact on healthcare from working inside a, a big pharmaceutical company? Um, you know, why can't you progress your career and at the same time pull others along with you, um, you know, a, a, as you move up? So that is really what I'm boldly passionate about is challenging those expectations for myself personally, uh, for myself as a leader, but also for us as a company and us as a society. And a follow-up question on that, is there a time at you as a leader you can think of that you had to challenge those expectations or it's a little more difficult to challenge expectations? Yeah, I, I um, you know, you mentioned one of the, the bold 10 questions about what did you think as a kid that you would want to do that, <laughs> that would, now as an adult, <laughs> you don't. Having started so early in my career, I think I looked at leaders and thought, I will have the answers, you know, that there is some magic secret formula that, I don't know, you become a director or you become a vice president and they like sprinkle magic fairy dust on you that tells you, boom, you're, you're a leader. <laughs> um, I think challenging my expectations around what leadership meant, um, who you have to be, you know, a, as a leader, how you have to lead. When I came into my career, I mentioned that there, that there were not a lot of women, and there mm-hmm. weren't a lot of women who, I'll say, how do I put this, were very public about motherhood. Mm-hmm. We still were in, I think, a transition period, you know, in the, the early 2000s, <laughs> where women who were leaders and wanted to lead in that way had to still adopt what I would call a very male-centric or male sense of leadership. You know, you had to demonstrate that you're 
you could do it all. You could, you know, your kids were not a distraction to you. You could work just as late. You, you, you know, didn't have to, to run out to do the school drop off or pick up. And, and, um, you know, you didn't hear, I think female leaders talk about families or, 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 um, you know, even male leaders, to be honest, there there just seemed to be at the time a very, like I said, just a, we were in a transition period, I think, of how people thought about leadership. Something that I have challenged my expectations around is as I am very honest <laughs> or try to be very honest about what's important to me, about the challenges that I face as a working mother, about the fact that my kids are a priority. I think that that type of leadership and seeing both men and women um, you know, in the workplace and, and male and female leaders be very open about, nope, you know, actually, I'm not going to take that meeting at five o'clock because I've got to go make the school play or actually, mm-hmm. you know, coming in for that 830 meeting is going to be really challenging because I have to do the school drop off. Um, <laughs> you know, that that I think one frees people up, whether you have children or don't have children or other things that are a priority for you to, to be more authentic. I think COVID did a lot of that too, right? All of a sudden that the messiness of our lives was was front and center for people to see on our screens. But, you know, recognizing that and challenging expectations around what leadership means. You know, leadership doesn't mean that I don't ever struggle, that I always know the answers, that you know, I'm not having a hard day balancing it all, that I didn't, you know, (laughs) that I always find a way to, you know, make every meeting and, you know, stay up late answering emails, but bake the cupcakes for the the school bake sale and remember (laughs) that, you know, Wednesday is tie-dyed t-shirt day. Um, You know, sometimes it's messy. And I think people are looking for, at least I like, um, you know, to be more authentic about um, showing that messiness where I need to mm-hmm. in a way that I don't think necessarily leaders did in the past. And I've I've seen some leaders do that really effectively. And it's something that I try to embrace. Oh, yeah, I've definitely seen the progress over my career where in my previous organizations had that mentality of motherhood or fatherhood and how we've evolved to be more of a balanced perspective now. So I definitely have seen that evolution. And gives me another follow-up question to that. Let's say someone who's in middle management right now, they want to become a leader like you. What is the top piece of advice we give for them to overcome those challenges or to challenge those expectations? Yeah, it's a good question. And I'll say in the interest of being uh, authentic and challenging expectations, uh, I don't know that I have the perfect answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think the one piece of advice that I would maybe give is, is, in the beginning, I approach things from the infamous prioritization and balance, right? You know, if I could, and as as a scientist, I'll use the word homeostasis, right? If I could mm. just find this perfect balance, <laughs> if I could just prioritize, um, you know, correctly, it is a day-to-day, hour-by-hour, sometimes minute-by-minute prioritization and balance. There, there isn't necessarily a balance. You you won't find homeostasis and, and being comfortable with pivoting and having to balance. I think about, um, you know, I, I, I love to exercise and stay active. I think about those, uh, you know, balance balls that you use at the gym mm-hmm. and you kind of constantly have to keep making, you know, micro adjustments. You don't, you don't get on that ball and just stay still, right? You're right. constantly moving as, you know, the wind is blowing you or as you shift your, your, your feet around. Embrace that feeling 
I, I think when you're trying to make that transition from kind of maybe the middle of your career to, to leadership, that at least to me felt so impossible. Um, again, I, I, I talk about that kind of magic fairy dust. There wasn't going to be some golden to-do list or magic prioritization that was going to make it seem all easy. And once I let that go, once I let that expectation go and, and let myself feel the uncertainty, feel the, you know, have the ability to constantly make those pivots and, and know that, you know, pri my priorities Monday or how I balanced Monday may not be how I balanced Wednesday, may not be what things look like in the next six months. I think that keeps you one fresh as a leader. It also helps prepare you for just where our industry is and how things are constantly changing. I think the leaders that you will see be more successful in the future are the leaders that can do that really, really well. When you're speaking with leaders within Bristol Myers Squibb and outside, you get different perspectives and how they're able to lead and how they're able to grow within the industry. And also want to come back to your work with the woman of color and pharma as part of the board of directors. And I guess, how has that influenced your leadership in your career dealing with such accomplished, amazing women in the pharmaceutical industry? You know, you surround yourself by greatness and that that wears off on you a bit. You know, I, I joke sometimes I look around that the the network that that WOSIP has, that the women that are part of that organization, um, you know, that the founder, Dr. Charlotte Jones Burton, the things that these women have been able to accomplish and do. And I come back to, uh, you know, there is that the sky is really the limit. <laughs> you know, we, we, we joke even seeing the evolution of WOSIP in the, in the beginning. I think a lot of the focus was, you know, how do you get a, a seat at the table? How do you build your brand so that, you know, women like us are more representative? And then at some point you look around that room, you look around that network and you said, we could start our own company. I, I'm halfway <laughs> joking. Um, you know, you don't need someone to give you a seat at the table. You could make your own <laughs> table. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, I'll, I'll give an example. When I started my career and, and actually when WOSUP was first forming, and Brian, I think this is uh, around the time that, that we actually met. Hmm. You know, I was an associate director. And, yes. you know, my goal for my career <laughs> was that I wanted to be a director by the time that I retired. Talk about, uh, you know, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but talk about, you know, thinking small and, um, you know, being surrounded by, you know, women in WOSUP and, you know, going through some of the coaching programs that are that that are offered as part of the organization um, and just being inspired by, by those women. Um, you know, we, we joke and we have something called that the power of the collective. It is challenging me every day to think bigger, to think bolder. Um, and when you surround yourself by people that are constantly doing that, it pushes you and it keeps you in that mindset. You guys are just doing amazing work and this powerful woman in this space to make me learn a lot from. And now even I learned something new, the power of the collective, I might start using that in my own day to day as well. But uh, Angelique, thanks again for coming on to the podcast. It was great to hear your story what drives your passion and challenging expectations and is your mindset. But before we end today, I want to ask you one last question that we ask all of our guests. What's one piece of advice, life or career, would you give to your past, present, and future self? 
Okay. Um, I think past self, I would say enjoy the journey. I spent a lot of time trying to reach a destination. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, I think a lot of us who um, had a lot of expectations maybe came from a minority or underrepresented background. You know, we feel the pressure of that, right? It was always, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And now I look back um, and I say, wow, that, that <laughs> I, I reached <laughs> the next thing. Um, I, I, I would tell myself to enjoy the journey. Um, that part of getting there is is just as important as the destination that you will eventually reach. What I would tell my present self is it is okay not to know. As I said, I think you reach a point in your career where you think you will have all of the answers. And I've realized that it's okay not to have all of the answers, that that what I have now are the tools uh, the network, the people, the teams around me who will help me find the answer. So, you know, leaders don't always have to know the answer. Um, and, the, and I would constantly tell myself and I remind myself that it's okay not to. Um, what I would tell my future self, <laughs> don't, don't get old. And um, we all, we all do that. yes, um, and, and I don't just mean like when you look in the mirror, but um, I have been in this industry. I, I've been in leadership, I think, long enough to see things come full circle um, or see them come around two or three times. And sometimes when you get old, when you get, get uh, you know, senior in your career, you start to say, oh you know, well, here's all the reasons that won't work, or here's what happened before when we did that. And I don't want to ever get old in my perspective. I Mm -hmm. always want to remind myself to embrace the new, to keep learning. You know, we talked about rainbows jokingly, but if I ever find myself you know, having someone say, oh, look, there's a rainbow outside and, and I don't want to get up and run to that window. Um, <laughs> you know, I would remind my, my future self of that. Continue to be amazed. Continue to learn. Don't look back and say, back in my day, um, mm-hmm. you know, we should, we should learn from the past and our past experiences. But I hope that I always stay amazed by what is to come. And that is what I would tell my future self. All fantastic pieces of advice because the future is always new and exciting. So embrace the new and exciting. Exactly. And and Brian, I just wanted to say thank you. Um, I mentioned that um, I'm incredibly proud and impressed with, with your journey and everything that you have accomplished. So um, I don't know that we would have thought, you know, four years ago is it has it yeah. been when uh when uh you know we were recruiting you for the leadership development program that you would be here having you know started a podcast series that has been so influential both in BMS and external to BMS so you know thank you and uh, I'm really uh happy that uh we could have this time thank you Angelique I think you just paved the runway for expectations of what we all could do within the pharmaceutical industry and my own passions as well. So I think your passions for a challenge expectations helped me facilitate my passion for what I'm doing today. But, you know, all thanks to you and again, the tremendous journey you're on so far. I look forward to what the next 15 or 16 years has in store for you as well. <laughs> thanks, Brian. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do this again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Bold Innovators podcast series. We look forward to speaking with you soon. 
Take care and have a bold tomorrow.